Okay, so please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. And last week we discovered how the Apostle Peter was almost given a bit of a grilling when he arrived in Jerusalem by the fellow apostles and brethren. And that demonstrates to me that Peter was not infallible. You can't really imagine, can you? The Pope of Rome having to give an account of himself to his cardinals and bishops. But uh, Peter was uh, expected to explain himself to the brethren. And I showed you last week how Peter changed the word of scripture. And I was reading through Acts 11 this morning. And I noticed a couple of other minor things which I'm going to bring out this morning. And I don't want to be too pernickety. But I want to make the case that we don't follow men. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter was fleshly and yet saved the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and so we need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of following men or women and that of course comes under the area of denominationalism but uh, from acts ten thirteen, the scripture says and there came a voice to him rise peter kill and eat but in eleven seven, he says arise peter kill and eat now i know this is uh perhaps somewhat tedious to some of you. In fact, it says, Arise, Peter, slay and eat from 11.7, whereas in 10.13, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, I know that the account doesn't have to be word for word, verbatim, I understand that, but you would think that Peter would give the account as accurately as he possibly could, but of course he is flesh and bones, and I think he's simply trying to play down the significance of Abandoning dietary laws to be a part of the Gentile community. Also from verse 14, 11, 14, the scripture says, Who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. There's no prayer involved. And I say that because some of our brethren like to have a prayer in order to be saved. They call that the sinner's prayer. But no, this is simply in reference to leading or explaining articulating to somebody what to do in order to be saved. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So I just want to underscore these areas this morning, because there's an ongoing battle at the moment in reference to how do you bring someone to faith in the Lord? Do you bring them to faith in the Lord through a prayer, the sinner's prayer? Do you teach lordship salvation, which simply consists of turning from all of your sins in order to be, in order to be saved, or do you simply explain the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, just let the Holy Spirit convict the sinner of his or her sin. That's what he does. John chapter 16. And then we, the Bible believers, simply preach the gospel. This isn't rocket science. And yet for far too many people, they are arguing and bickering over what to do with an unsaved person. Nine times out of ten, these people don't even go on the streets anyway. They are simply armchair critics. So keep those thoughts in mind, please. And I may have to come back and expound further on those points but last time we ended in verse 18 where the word of God tells us when they heard these things they held their peace and glorified God saying then hath God altered to the Gentiles grant repentance unto life repentance in a nutshell is grace but more specifically in the book of Acts it is the ability to believe it is the ability to receive Christ's atonement you see I showed you back in Acts chapter 5 many weeks ago in fact this will be the 25th broadcast I think from Acts of the Apostles, how the Jews have been granted repentance to be saved. And you might think, why would the Lord grant repentance to the chosen people? Well, because the Jews, going back to Isaiah and Jeremiah, were under a curse. You might think, why were they under a curse? Because they didn't receive the words of the prophets or the kings. And that's what the Lord told us 
on so many occasions in the Gospels how they have eyes but cannot see and have ears and cannot hear. So in spite of the fact that the Jews rejected their kings and prophets back in the Old, the Old Testament and in spite of the fact that they rejected the Lord in the New Testament, God Almighty has still granted them repentance to be saved. So the ball is in your courts, my friend. There's no point saying the Lord didn't die for me. There's no point saying God doesn't love me. He hasn't atoned for my sins. Yes, he has. He's granted repentance. He's allowed you to be saved. He's allowed you to become part of the new covenant if you want to. And that's why such time was taken back in Acts chapter 5. But here the context from 11.18 will be in reference to the Gentiles being granted repentance unto life. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What's amazing to me is Acts of the Apostles is not a doctrinal book. It is a transitional book, and yet aren't we blessed to get so much good material from Acts of the Apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul speaking, verse 17 please. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, his new creature, all things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. That's true. When you get saved, you are a new creature. Your spirit has been regenerated, and according to Ephesians 1 and 2, your spirit is already in heaven. So you can't lose your salvation. In fact, it is impossible to lose your salvation because you're already in the heavenly places. 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He that winneth souls is wise. Proverbs 11.30. Look at 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God was in Christ, Emmanuel, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but he goes on to say how he has committed unto us, the Bible believer, the word of reconciliation. It's your job and it's my job to win souls to the Lord. How you do it, how often you do it, is up to you. But it's your job and it's my job to get souls saved. 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be you reconciled to God. What does this mean? It means it's quite simply that God was in Christ reconciling the world, not the elect, but the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. In other words, he hasn't yet declared anyone to be guilty, but he wants us to turn to him, to be reconciled unto him. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Come unto me, all you that heavy laden, and a burden, and I'll give you rest, so on and so forth. So you see, the aspect is very simply in reference to us, if we're not saved, being reconciled to the Lord. Simply coming to him by faith in order to be saved. 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For he hath made him to be sin for us, God the Father, making God the Son, who knew no sin, he was sinless, unlike you, Unlike myself, unlike the Pope, unlike Muhammad, unlike Mary, unlike Confucius, that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. Substitutionary atonement. Jump down to 6 2. Behold, now is accepted time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Why do I say that? Because around 8,000 souls die every hour around the world, which is about 150,000 worldwide dying every day. Do the maths, 150,000 people die every day around the world, which is 8,000 an hour. And get this, the same amount of people are born every day around the world. That shows that the Lord is the Lord of mathemat uh, mathematics. He is the Lord of the universe. He is able to control everything. 
One group of people die, another group of people are born. So keep those scriptures in mind when it comes to understanding the ministry of reconciliation, understanding that God has drawn all men unto himself also from John chapter 12. But the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. It's his job, not your job, not my job, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict sinners of their sin. But it's our job to witness to sinners. It's our job to articulate the gospel to sinners. Please go back to Acts. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then had God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. That's a great scripture. And one day you're going to die if you're not saved, and you will stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will weep and wail over the fact that you died in your sins. But it's your choice. I mean, God has done all that he can do to save you. He's almost bent over backwards to bring you unto himself via his son. But you have a free will. So that's why we don't make a great song and dance when we go on the streets. We don't spend a lot of time pleading with people to be saved. I've heard many services over the years where they get the old organ out. They start playing it and the preachers almost screaming at people to come up to be saved. Almost pleading with people to come up and be saved. I don't do that. I know Art and an unsaved man or woman on the street, they need to be saved. And I will stress the enormity of not being saved, but I won't go back and forth with the same person. Don't cast your pearls before swine. And yet saying that, I'll say this, if somebody is interested in being saved, fine. You know, I'll put time aside and I'll do whatever I can to further articulate the plan of salvation to such a person. But let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in verse 19 from Acts chapter 11. And Lord willing, we will complete Acts chapter 11 uh, from today's broadcast. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen travelled as far as Valencia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. They're still focusing on Israel because the Jews are the people of the Lord, the chosen race. But did you notice something very discreetly in that piece of scripture? You could have almost missed it, couldn't you? Peter has now gone. Pope Peter has left the house. Pope Peter has departed from the scene. And it's very interesting to me because if you are a Catholic, your foundation, your religion consists of Pope Peter, so-called. And yet, if you were to sit down with Pope Peter, so-called, and say to him that the Catholic Church claim him as their own, he'd be greatly offended. In fact, he'd probably get up and walk out of the room. But did you notice something very interesting in Scripture? Paul was shown the third heaven, not Pope Peter. And John was shown the last days, not Pope Peter. So if you were to sit down and study the three men, Peter, John, and Paul. Peter is the least privileged when it comes to the things of the future. But here, Peter has disappeared, and this persecution from 19 is still continuing. You see, Saul of Tarsus may have been saved. Saul of Tarsus may have been graciously welcomed into the body of Christ by Almighty God, but his lieutenants carried on. His lieutenants carried on hunting down the way, another name for the early church, putting them to death much like you find brutal Islamists around the world today doing to Christians. And the truth is that Christians have always suffered for their faith. In fact, if you're not suffering for your faith, something's wrong with you, because you should be on fire for the Lord. And if you're not on fire for the Lord, I guess you're either lukewarm, which means you're backslidden, or you're not saved. It's as simple as that. But here, Peter's departed, 19, and he'll come back in chapter 15, and he'll come back and write First Peter and Second Peter, but that's it. So it's, it's kind of odd. If you follow this man, Simon Peter, because he has the least amount of revelation revealed to him. 
in the word of God. The gospel of the grace of God was given to Paul, not Peter. And yes, Paul would write most of the New Testament. But to be fair to Peter, he would stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach the word of God. He gets the keys from Matthew 16. But those keys are given vicariously to all the apostles in Matthew 18 and John chapter 20, I believe it is. So I don't want to be too hard on Peter. And I did spend some time last week zooming in on his old nature because he has an old nature. I have an old nature and you have an old nature. And if you think you haven't, just ask your loved ones what they think of yourself, how great you're doing. You might be quite surprised. Look at 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus, they're not preaching religion. I keep having to stress that point. If you're saved, you want to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't stand on any religious foundation. I've seen Calvinists get tied up in knots, having to defend John Calvin and the whole incident concerning Servetus. I've seen Catholics get tied up having to defend the papacy and their gross cover-up of pedophile priests. Muslims having to defend Muhammad, marrying Aisha, a six-year-old child. You won't get me standing on the street corner defending anyone or anything apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. I'm happy to stand this. I'm happy to die for this, if necessary. This is a great foundation. But here, this group of men are being pushed out due to the persecution 19 from the religious zealots in Jerusalem. Such people were and are enemies of the cross, and yet you were told to pray for those people. In fact, Paul would make it very clear in Romans 11 how he wished he could be accursed for his brethren. In fact, it starts in Romans 9, leading up to the election, and it concludes in Romans 11 in reference to the fact that the Jews have not been cast away. And I say that because, unfortunately, some of our Calvinist brethren hold to replacement theology, a terrible doctrine which teaches that the church has replaced Israel permanently. Now, I'll say this very briefly, without going off script, that we, the church, have temporarily replaced the people of Israel. We are the body of Christ for today, for the church age, and they are outside of the remit of the Lord. They put themselves outside the new covenant. They, they are still under the old covenant, but they are still beloved for their father's sakes. You're told to pray for the Jews, never to persecute them. Look at verse 21, please. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Did he get that? And the hand of the Lord was with them, probably in reference to miracles. And a great number believed the just shall live by faith and turned unto the Lord. That's repentance in a nutshell. You turn unto the Lord. You turn from unbelief to belief. In fact, jump over to Acts chapter 20, scripture with scripture. Don't do a word study. Always use a scripture to interpret the scripture. Uh, Acts 20, 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Testifying both to the Jews, one group of people, and also to the Greeks, unsaved Gentiles, repentance toward God. Why? Because the Greeks didn't believe on Jehovah. The Greeks were polytheist. The Greeks were superstitious. They had many gods. That's why they had to repent towards God. They had to change their mind about who God was and is and have faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no lordship salvation there. There's no turn of more of your sins in order to be saved. And if you teach to ask yourself this, what sins did you turn from in order to be saved? I mean, be honest with yourself. What sins did you have to turn from in order to be saved? Isn't it true that one day you came to the end of yourself? 
One day you saw yourself as a filthy reprobate. And you said, I can't go on any longer. I need something more than this. I need something else. And you got down on your knees and you cried out to the Lord. and He saved you. Then you turn from your sins, of course. But to put a turning from sins before you are saved into the equation is highly problematic. And I will get to chapter 20, probably next year now. But it says one last time, testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to Acts chapter 11, please. There's no lordship salvation here. Simply hearing the word of God and responding to it and being saved. And that is repentance. That is grace. Grace simply meaning God's righteousness at Christ's expense. God's righteousness at Christ's expense is a free gift. And that's why you cannot boast. In fact, Ephesians 2 told you that you are saved by grace and not of yourself. So be careful if you get into this whole repentance, salvation issue, lordship, salvation, turning from your sins, having to do this, having to do that in order to be saved. You should come broken. I do teach that you should come broken. You should see yourself as unworthy, as a sinner, a filthy rag. But the scripture says you are beloved. God sent his son to die for your sins. He thinks you're worth it. Personally, I don't think I'm worth it. I don't think you're worth it either. But he says you are. And if he says you are, then you are. So hopefully you won't fall into the trap of lordship salvation. 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. That word church in 22 in your Textus Receptus is assembly. And I say that because when I was going through the epistle of James some years ago, it speaks about if somebody comes into your assembly with a gold ring and nice clothing and so on and so forth. And I thought it's an interesting term, assembly. And I looked at the TR, the Textus Receptus, and it, the word is actually synagogue. And I say that because the early church were Jewish and they would have met in synagogues. So here the term for church is actually assembly. But I'll say this, that you might be interested to know that in Matthew 16, the Lord says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I build my church. And the word church is assembly. And you think, why is this important? Well, assembly simply means a group of people. Think of the United Nations, the assembly of the United Nations. But the word church has a more grander meaning. It has more substance, I think, anyway. So the King James quite rightly corrected it and changed it or translated it to church which is ecclesia which means called out i don't spend too much time on this but i think it's important that we understand the roots of the early church that they were jewish and they met in synagogues and you think why would that be well because they got saved and they used their synagogues as a place of fellowship of worship so i'm not against people meeting in a fellowship in a building i haven't got building phobia i haven't got church phobia as some people have but i do like to lay out the dangers of organized religion which is a whole different ball game but it says the tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. The mother church, of course. And they sent forth Barnabas. That he should go as far as Antioch. He doesn't send himself. I've shown you over the last 25 broadcasts how the church functioned as a group. The early church was so fine-tuned, almost like military precision. There's no one man calling the shots. There's no Pope Peter wearing his triple tiara. They work as a group. And this is how it should have been. This is how it was in the early church. But we... Say people are complex. We fall short. And the word of God tells us what we should do. But many times we don't do what we should do. Because we are weak. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. In fact I'll say this very briefly. That not only do we fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of the greats in the Bible. And I'll spend some time discussing that. During my next video. 
But for today, the group have sent Barnabas to Antioch. And Antioch was a thriving place during the first century. And geographically, Antioch is between Turkey and Syria. And you look at Turkey and Syria today, Islamic. In fact, I went to Israel some years ago and I was in Nazareth, predominantly Islamic. Bethlehem, predominantly Islamic. And this is what happens when people turn from the Lord. You get this false religion, this power vacuum filling the void. And these people come up to us in the streets and say, I'm so glad you guys are here. And they make comments about the Islamists in our town giving out Qurans and DVDs and, you know, trying to push Islam. And they sometimes shake our hands. Such people aren't even saved, can I just say. They're just ordinary unsaved people. And they are commending us for having a presence in our town every Sunday. But I always put the ball back in their courts. And I say, listen, if you people were saved, those guys wouldn't be here. It's because you're not saved that the Lord is raising up such false religions. It's punishment. It's judgment against our nation. And I know they're trying to be helpful and they're trying to be kind and they're trying to give us some, you know, thanks for being there. But quite honestly, they need to be saved. They're just as lost as the Islamists. 23. Who when they came... And as seen the grace of God was glad, and exhorted them all, and with purpose of heart, that they would cleave unto the Lord. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Cleave to the Lord, cling to the Lord, stick with the Lord, stay with the Lord. Hebrews 10, look at 38 please. Now the just shall live by faith. There's my favourite term again. But if any man draw back, take a look at John 666 when we get a chance. My soul should have no pleasure in him. 39. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, the law, Judaism, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We get a chance to look at John 8.31. Go back to Acts chapter 11. Why did I give you that quote from Hebrews chapter 10? Well, quite simply because the Jews had to understand that Christ was the Lamb of God. He was the final prophet, the final messenger sent to the children of Israel. If you miss him, you miss it all. And there was so much pressure on the Jews in the early church to have one foot in the camp of Israel, going to the temple, offering their animal sacrifices, and yet have another camp in the early church's gathering, in the early church's assemblies or synagogues. You can't serve two masters. You're either with the Lord, you're either in the Lord. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit, or you're not. You can't serve two masters. And that's why most of the New Testament is written to the Jews to stay uh, with the Lord, make your calling election sure, lay hold on eternal life. 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. There's a picture of a man's testimony in reference to Barnabas. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Would someone say that about you? If you were to find 10 people that know you personally, would they say you are a good man or a good woman, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith? Would they even know you're saved? And much people is added unto the Lord. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. You are in Christ Jesus. And he is in you, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. This is a great, unique teaching found nowhere else in the history of the world. When I speak to people on the streets and I say, are you saved? Do you know you're saved? Nine times out of ten I'll say, I don't know that I'm saved, but I'd like to be saved. And I'm able to explain the gospel to them. But 24, in reference to Barnabas having a good testimony amongst his peers. And that's something which we need to lay hold of as well. 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. 
And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples are called Christians first in Antioch. Antioch, from memory, is between Turkey and Syria, whereas Tarsus, from memory, is near Syria, Middle East land. This term Christian, or Christians, 26, is another term for a believer, a disciple. If you are saved, you are a Christian, obviously, and you are a disciple, you are a believer. There's no two-tier system here. A Christian is a disciple, is a believer. 27, and in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Agabus will be one of them, and they're going to preach the word of God. They're going to fill the, I won't say discrepancy, there's a temporary issue which needs to be filled. There's a void which needs to be filled. There's something lacking because the New Testament hadn't yet been written. And again, they're coming from Jerusalem, the mother church, the eternal city. Not Rome, it's Jerusalem. And they stood up, one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. He was a real person, Claudius Caesar. You can check him. This is what makes the Bible so unique. It lists real people who lived during a great time of history. And this death, this famine, is as a result of judgment. That's why most of Africa starves. It's judgment. It's older men marrying children. It's people having unnatural relations with animals. That's why there's so much sin in the world. That's why people are suffering and starving to death and dealing with having to experience famines and pestilences. It's sin. And you need to turn from that. 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it by the elders, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. 29. The disciples, every man according to his ability, free will, he won't be coerced, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Poor Jews. Not all Jews were or are rich. Some are poor, some had nothing. And according to 1 Corinthians 11, some were even homeless. Which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And you'll pick up next time Saul becoming Paul and Barnabas, a Levite, becoming a great man in the early church. But there you are, 30 verses, a crash course through Acts chapter 11. And there's always much ground is being covered and hopefully much material to ponder during this Lord's Day, but I'll say this very finely, don't follow men, don't get into pastor worship, don't get involved in organised religion, follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth, and don't fall into the trap of limited atonement, I've shown you conclusively that repentance has been given to the Jews, one group of people, and the Gentiles, another group of people, there's no one else, you're either a Jew or a Gentile, and you have the ability to be saved, if you believe on the Lord, if you trust on him, the early church preached the Lord Jesus, not religion, and they did miracles left, right, and center. On top of that, the emphasis was, and still is, to the Jews to stay with the Lord, unto death if necessary. And we can spiritualize that to the church, stay with the Lord Jesus Christ, to get a full reward at the judgment seats of Christ. But during this intertestimonial period, prophets are going to be sent from Jerusalem to preach to those that are in Antioch, a Gentile part of the world, although strictly speaking it was between Syria and Turkey, which from memory came under the jurisdiction of Herod the Great, but now both are Islamic parts of the world, and they're called Christians. Followers of Christ, disciples, believers, 
Don't let someone say you're not a disciple. If you don't go to a church building, that's foolishness. You're baptized into the body of Christ. And that's why I gave you the scripture that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Or by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. And Barnabas and Saul are going to take the driving seat. Off goes Simon Peter, the so-called Pope of Rome, I don't think. And here comes Saul of Tarsus with Barnabas to preach the word of God. And what Saul of Tarsus forgot, we will never know. But I'll close there and next week we'll pick it up in Acts chapter 12.